0: Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, the podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin (sighs) Rieken. Hello, dear listeners. At the time of this recording, we're dealing with a global pandemic. I sincerely hope you and your families are doing well. I'm fortunate enough to say, at the moment, everything is all right on my end. Something I've found fascinating in this new normal is the changing role of content. Late night hosts are filming from home, musicians are performing virtual concerts, and celebrity chef Alton Brown livestreams his wife and him cooking dinner. Pundits, athletes, and celebrities are being interviewed from their living rooms in casual clothes as dogs and kids run amuck in the background. In a unique twist, this style of entertainment and education has made things more intimate in a new reality where we must stay six feet away from one another, or rather two meters. Alton Brown says we should use this time to learn the metric system. With so many hosts inviting people into their virtual homes, I decided to do the same. Here's a chance to take a look or listen behind the scenes of American Rabbi Project, to hear from me and my editorial team on why we do what we do, our hopes and dreams, and the creative process behind how the kosher sausage gets made. I used to live in Flagstaff, Arizona for college and work. One of the friends I made during that time was American Rabbi Project contributor Jeremy Krones, the Jewish cowboy. For the first few years I knew him, Jeremy lived off the grid on a ranch in the vast Arizona expanse, occasionally coming into town for Shabbat. Eventually, he moved closer and became one of the backbones of the Flagstaff Young Jewish community. He led book clubs, hosted seders, and valiantly tried to convince people to pick up trash on a street we adopted. When I first started pitching the idea of my podcast to my friends, he was there to provide encouragement and reassure me that I wasn't crazy, or at least not too crazy. Today, Jeremy runs an environmental nonprofit, a land trust in the small Colorado town of Grand Lake, where he joins us from today. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Justin. So, how are you doing today? How are, how are you staying sane?
1: Um, I'm doing all right. I'm staying sane barely, well, barely more than usual. I'm still able to work, which is good. Um, and I live remotely enough that I can go for walks and not see anybody. But what's changed is I'm not seeing a lot of my town friends, uh, which is it is starting to get to me.
0: And you're in a pretty small town. There's been a lot of talk about how things are affecting major cities like New York City and Los Angeles. What's what's the scene like in a in a much smaller kind of rural area?
1: Yeah. So we're uh, my county. Grand County is a fairly touristy Area. Um, we have a ski resort. We, Grand Lake, is the western entrance to the Rocky Mountain National Park. And so we've seen our economy take a big hit lately. But locally, you know, outside of, of, you know, not leaving our house except for when it's necessary, going to the store, it's the same. You see the same people. But uh, I think it's, it's gonna, even if we don't have many cases here, uh, it's still going to affect us economically.
0: Of course. So, Jeremy, once again, thank you for joining us today. And I already kind of gave a bit of introduction, but I was curious if maybe you could describe yourself as well. You know, kind of let our listeners know who you are more.
1: Uh, Sure. I am from central Maryland. I was raised on, uh, was once a farm and now is a large plot of land about an hour north of D.C., and I moved to Arizona um, after college. I did kind of a study abroad program in Northern Arizona called the Grand Canyon semester in my senior year of college. And through that program, met a lot of people uh, and, and, and became a cowboy on a cattle ranch that we visited on a field trip. After college, I was a forest ranger for a short time and then decided to move out to Arizona. Um, and I was still developing my identity, you know, trying to figure out who I was after college. And the cowboy job turned into another nonprofit job. I ran Diablo Trust, which is a ranching conservation nonprofit based in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I did that for about four, four or four and a half years, and then decided it was time to move, to change, to grow in all kind of facets of my life, and found this Land, trup, land Trust executive director position. Jeremy, why do you help with this podcast? I help with the podcast because I believe in Jewish diversity um, and in my identity as an American Jew. I believe that it's important for everybody to understand all of the perspectives of Judaism as both a religion and a cultural identity. Although in reality, I would imagine that would require interviewing every Jew in the world, which would probably take some time. But one of my Something that comes to mind is one of my oldest personal Jewish possessions is my talit bag, which my aunts made for me for my bar mitzvah. It's the Magen David, or the Star of David, made out of red, white, and blue stripes. I don't know if I valued it in the same way when I received it, but nearly two decades later, it has come to be very important, very affirming for myself as an American and as a Jew. Um, And I feel that this podcast is a relevant project to that, and I take pride in it. And, you know, you ask for help, and when a friend asks for help, you help them.
0: You have been a very big help. Jeremy is one of the many people on this project who is getting pretty good at talking me off of a lot of metaphorical cliffs, and I really appreciate that.
1: So, Justin, you spend a lot of your time asking other people questions, and I have a question for you Um, I think I know the answer, but I'd be curious to know what you answer it now that you've been doing this podcast for almost two years. Two years ago, you left your job, you traveled the country, you started a podcast, which was very admirable, but a lot of people were asking then, as they ask now, how did you come up with this idea and why do you do it?
0: Well, the first The first time I really got the spark, so to say, came while I was still working in public radio. I interviewed two friends who had left their jobs to travel around the country with the goal of visiting every national park. The friends said they would rather travel when they're young as opposed to waiting until retirement. This decision was affirmed by many older people they met along the way. And that stuck out to me. Our generation might not get to retire, so we might as well travel before we're burdened by even more responsibilities. I'm also fortunate to have a good amount of privilege in life that I could afford to quit my job and take a chance. Because I planned to road trip around the country, the journalist in me would not let me pass up on a golden opportunity to talk with a lot of different people from a lot of different places in an honest way. And the idea to focus on rabbis came organically. I already was wrestling with a lot of questions of identity and Judaism and had a feeling of powerlessness in a negative-presenting world. This project gave me a sense of agency, that I could go out on my own and make some headway on a topic that really spoke to me, to connect with my Judaism and to do something unique at a very unique time. So thank you, Jeremy, for that question, and thank you very much for joining us today and introducing yourself to our lovely listeners.
1: Of course. Thank you, Justin. Safe travels.
0: Yeah, and stay indoors. We now leave the mountains of Colorado and head for the mountains of Colorado, specifically Durango. It was the first stop on my road trip and the town where American Rabbi Project contributor Sarit Dan Rathbone lives. Back in high school, Sarita and I were cast as the same character in a school play. We bonded over the theater lifestyle and the intense study of our shared character's eight lines. From then on, we've been very dear friends, despite residing in separate states for the last decade. She's lived in New York City and Los Angeles while working in the entertainment industry, but has since traded in skyscrapers and film sets to live life on her terms in the Southwest. Seeing as Sarit has been a source of no-nonsense support for every challenge in my life, it was only natural for her to be on the team. And now, whenever she wants to drive a point home when giving me life advice, she prefaces it by saying, as your editor. Hey, Sarit.
2: Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me today.
0: How are you doing today? How are you staying sane?
2: I am doing well, relatively speaking. When this first started and I still managed to work at my local library as a material handler, when people asked me how I was, I would go, you know, um, and I realized that that wasn't quite an adequate answer, even though everyone knew what that meant. So, relatively speaking, I am well. Thank you
0: glad to hear that. Just in general, what's it like in Durango right now? What's what's going on?
2: It's much quieter than usual on my essential errands. I noticed that our downtown main strip has quite a few for lease signs in the windows where there were previously businesses, not even, you know, last month. And um it's different. I'm sure it's a reflection of what things must be like everywhere right now. It's it's very different, but it helps to have things um, like the American Rabbi Project to keep me going, to stay in contact with my friends and my family. I had a little Shabbat with my mother and my grandparents over FaceTime and my brother in Utah. And that was really special. I also have, these days, um, no less than two challahs in the house. It's a comfort food. Yeah,
0: tell me about it. And in a weird way, I too seem like I've almost been having more Shabbats now that I can't go anywhere than when I could.
2: Yes, that is definitely a thing. I purchased a yard site candle um, for those affected by coronavirus and also for my own family uh, for upcoming Passover.
0: So, Sarit, already given a bit of an introduction, but I was curious if you can kind of introduce yourself as well, kind of say hello to my listeners.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Sarit Dan Rathbone. I have lived in California for the majority of my life. I moved to New York in 2015 to pursue television. And then moved back to Los Angeles in 2017 to pursue scripted development. And about a year after that, I moved to Durango to pursue other things. <laughs> and that's been my journey thus far. I am in the process of opening a jewelry company with um, all jewelry designed and made by me.
0: Sweet. A question that I've been asking everyone on my team is actually a question you suggested I ask everyone on my team, which is, why do you choose to help with American Rabbi Project?
2: I chose to help with American Rabbi Project immediately because it was your project and because I'm very good at giving constructive criticism. <laughs> uh, but I think it was it was if not the first episode, the second episode, where um, essentially uh, I think it was one of the first times that I had heard an opinion from a rabbi that I didn't agree with on the podcast, and you introduced the concept of having Jews that you don't agree with in such an agreeable way that I I was surprised by, you know, myself and by you and your ability to really transgress differences within um, one religion such that I feel more open towards all Judaism. Whereas maybe to hear about some rabbis think about my rights as a woman and my rights as someone in an interfaith relationship are less than, but that's really not the case always. I mean, you also do a spectacular job of speaking to people who are working from their heart and that can lead you astray. The general you, sometimes that's just what the journey of life is, but um, you make bridges where there were none in this podcast. And to be a part of that is a gift. To be able to help make the essence of that into more than the sum of its parts is a gift. Because you have such a fabulous team um, helping you and you are able to really, I think, create something that has value for everyone, Jews and non-Jews.
0: Thank you. That means a lot.
2: Justin, it's true that the rabbis you have had on your podcast are ones that were explicitly in your path, but on your first road trip, you had to carve that path to meet those rabbis. What was the selection process of finding and speaking with these rabbis?
0: It's actually funny you uh, mentioned this because when I was, I remember I was part doing some of that process when I was hanging out with you and Mike in Durango I, I was actually contacting the rabbi in Denver, Rabbi Solomon Grunwald, and we were walking around downtown and I was constantly saying, oh, I need to take this call, I need to take this call. So I, I definitely remember that. And, and it did, it's something that started with me looking up synagogues around an area I would be traveling through and then contacting rabbis. And I would try to balance it out so I got a decent spread of denominations and backgrounds. But for the most part, I'd go somewhere and look around. My search certainly wasn't thorough, and it took me a while before I realized there are more rabbis than just pulpit rabbis. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, but that was a thing. As I've mentioned before, West Virginia was the turning point for me. The original plan was to head back across the country from there, but... I then decided to turn around and head south to collect interviews at some very historic synagogues in South Carolina and Georgia. Up until that point, I was traveling first and podcasting second. After West Virginia, I was podcasting first and traveling second. This also came at a time where our hometown, Sarit, our hometown was reeling from the borderline bar mass shooting and the Woolsey fire. Fully committing to the project and the mission really helped me power through that time. From then on, I got more intentional of where I was looking and what I wanted. I started looking beyond pulpit rabbis, although that's still a large part of those interviewed. Whenever I find a rabbi, I look for a hook, something fascinating about them that can make an episode stand out. For example, Rabbi Sam Spector in Utah is part of a multi-denominational congregation. Rabbi Albert Gabbai in Philadelphia fled Egypt as a kid. Rabbi Gil Steinloff held the pulpit at a prestigious Washington, D.C. synagogue and came out as gay to his congregants. Pretty much every rabbi in existence has some sort of hook, and the trick is just to find it. Well, Sarit, thank you for everything you do for this podcast. It really means the world, and thank you for joining us today. Stay safe out there.
2: Thank you. You too. Wash your hands.
0: Yeah, make sure you wash the tracks before you email it to me.
2: Of course. Soap and water. 20 seconds.
0: Do you like my podcast's website, Rabbiproject.com? You can thank Derek Pova for that. I'm not sure what my website would look like without him, but personally I'm imagining one of those vintage nineties web pages with the muddled text and tiny clip art. My friend and fellow Eagle Scout handles this podcast's infrastructure and he's here to introduce himself to you, dear listener. Hi Derek.
3: Hi, how you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Did did I just di- did I describe the 90s web pages accurately with the muddle text and tiny clipboard? Was that a
3: 90s thing? I think you forgot the, uh, the page counter, but for the most part, yeah, that's pretty close.
0: All right. All right, cool. I'm glad to know that. Derek, how have you been staying sane?
3: Well, uh, honestly, it's just been a lot of Minecraft, and I've been in Discord chats with friends almost daily at this point. The only reason why I'm not with them is because I'm here doing this with you right now
0: and I appreciate you being here. So, I already gave a bit of an introduction, but if you can please describe yourself as
3: well. Well, yeah, I'm Derek. I uh, manage the website for Rabbi Project, do all the updates, manage some of the spam that comes through, you know, all the standard webmaster stuff, make sure it's all safe and secure.
0: And you've also been pushing me from time to time to tighten up logos or tighten up web presence, just a lot of You've been helping me with a lot of housekeeping stuff as well, right?
3: Well, yeah. I want to make sure that you can focus on what you do best, which is produce your content.
0: And Derek, why do you help with this podcast?
3: Well, I kind of, I think I kind of just said it. I believe in what you do. It's really cool to hear the perspectives. Even though I'm not Jewish myself, it's very cool to hear the perspectives of what it means to be Jewish from across the country. Um, And it's a very ambitious goal. And like I said, Letting you do what you do best, which is produce your content, is that—that's what I want to do. And I mean, come on, you're one of my best friends, so
0: you definitely are too, Derek.
3: So yeah, I'm—I'm curious to know um, what your creative process looks like because, as you know, what I do is kind of behind the scenes, and we don't really talk much about what that looks like.
0: The process, the process. Uh, The short answer is pain. There is a longer answer. I style my episodes as long-form features, which means I write a narrative script. This way, a single interview, which usually takes about an hour, gets reduced into a 22-25 to 25 minute episode. I start by transcribing the entire interview. It's an arduous process, but I will always choose to do this manually as opposed to outsourcing it to some magical software or a minion-slash-intern. Doing it on your own is a great way to get intimate with the tape and figure out what you want to use and how you want the episode to flow. After transcription, I move on to the absolute hardest part, writing the damn script. I like to joke my writing process is banging my head against a desk for three days, but that's really how it feels. After some time and some pain, I look up and there's a script in front of me. The most annoying part of the writing process is the sporadic nature of it. It's hard to schedule. I know how long it takes to transcribe. I know how long it takes to voice scripts and produce, but I've had whole days where I sit at my desk and write barely anything. And I've had nights where I've written half a script during an hour-long, sugar-fueled frenzy. I am getting better at this with every episode. I'm starting to find a process to keep things reasonable. but. Just because you're good at banging your head against a desk doesn't mean you won't get headaches. Next, I send the script out to my contributors, the people I thank with every episode and those you are hearing from today. I edit by committee, but ultimately the final editorial decision is up to me. This breaks with the traditional system of creative oversight, and that's one of the biggest challenges of running this podcast. It's as freeing as it is imprisoning. Then I record my voice tracks in the studio, which is my parents' closet. It's where I am right now. I jerry-rig a podium by stacking boxes and crates, and then I cover the top with a yoga mat to avoid the hollow sounds, and I'll put my mic and computer on top of that. I'm being serious when I say closets are great studios. And if you've listened to any podcasts from NPR lately, They agree. Closets are naturally close-quartered with a lot of padding from clothes. It's a trick used by a lot of people. And in the world of audio journalism, there's always an interesting story to tell about what people do for the sake of sound quality. When I interviewed Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman in Massachusetts, we were originally going to do the interview in one of the synagogue's classrooms. But they were all echoey. We found the best sound quality came from sitting on the floor at the end of a hallway, which is what we did for the entire interview. I'm very grateful to Rabbi Friedman for that. You got to do what you got to do for the sound. After I voice my tracks, I mix everything together, listen to the episode about 10 times to make sure there are no mistakes, and then I send it out to the world. And finally, I'll get a text from my grandmom saying how much she loved the new episode.
3: That's quite the process.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. As I said, it's getting a little easier every time. I'm starting to find patterns with everything. And I guess that's what we're always trying to do, find a way to make everything a pattern or something.
3: That's my biggest thing in programming. Yeah. It's how you, how can you automate the process? How can you make it easier on yourself and everyone involved?
0: Well, Derek, once again, I really appreciate all you've been doing with the website and a million other tiny things. I look forward to sometime soon where we can actually get a beer in person again. Hopefully that's soon. But if not, it's still great hearing from you.
3: As always, always happy to help. One of the biggest
0: communities to embrace my podcast about Judaism in the United States comes from Jews in Canada, specifically from Hamilton, Ontario. Home of the original Tim Hortons, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, and a very warm Jewish community. Complete with an A-roof made of power lines for some reason. I don't know how that works, but apparently it does. This connection started with Beth Vanderstoop, the love of my life who lives there. I wish you could meet my girlfriend, my girlfriend who lives in Canada. So let's do that now. Hey, Beth.
4: Shalom, Justin.
0: Shalom Beth, lovely to hear from you. How are you staying sane?
4: I'm staying sane by focusing on what I can do and how I can support my community at this time. I am an active member of the Hamilton Jewish Family Services and I am, as a young adult that doesn't have many underlying health conditions, I've been able to help run food to seniors and those who cannot leave their houses. This is a time when we really need community and we really need to lean on each other. And so instead of focusing on what I can't do, such as return to the United States at this moment, I'm focusing on what is going to be meaningful in this moment. And I'm taking it one day at a time.
0: So Beth, I already gave a little introduction, but I was curious if you yourself could introduce yourself to my lovely listeners.
4: Hi, uh, my name is Beth-Ruth Vanderstoop. I am originally from Washington State. I'm 26 years old. I hold a master's degree in sustainable communities from Northern Arizona University. And I work full-time as a Jewish campus professional. What got me into this podcast was Justin and I became friends about four years ago. And that was at the same time that I was researching different ways of doing Jewish community. And so for my master's thesis, I decided to go around the country and look at Jewish intentional communities. So Jewish intentional community is an organization where people share some collective capital. I specifically decided to look at Jewish commun- Jewish uh, intentional communities that share housing and or property, so I went and many of these uh, housing models are built around the kibbutz movement. And so while I was researching that, I got really deeply engaged into what is American Jewish identity? What does it mean to be an American Jew? Where are we as as a people? How do these different waves of immigration impact how we see the world? And also, where do we fit in? What is the future of doing Jewish going to look like? And so Justin and I uh, became a couple about two years ago. And it was right around when I got this job. And I was like, oh, hi. Um, So I'm moving off to Ontario, Canada. It's been great dating you. We should do this again sometime. And he's like, No, wait! I'm I'm going off on this wonderful adventure. And so it's been really awesome to see Justin work on his de- on his dream project as I have been able to explore where I sit in my own career.
0: Yeah, it's very much kind of worked in tangent in a lot of ways. And when you talked about how you've mused a lot with concept of American Judaism, you were one of the first people I was musing that subject with before long before I thought of this podcast and long before we started dating.
4: That is correct. I would say that American Jews and just North American Jewry as a whole, and I say this as someone that has now lived in Canada for the past two years, we're in a pretty unique cultural situation in that, like, yes, anti-Semitism is bad and it's real and it's happening and it has historically happened, but it hasn't happened in the same level of intensity our, that our forebearers have dealt with. And so I would say that it's, uh, it's been really fascinating to see how people have been responding to the increased anti-Semitism. And how our reactions are largely largely to that of saying, "You know the u s is our home, and we're not gonna leave it." I think that like ultimately like what that boils down to is like Canada and the u s um have allowed Jews to be full citizens versus like many places, especially Europe, have not, and so it's been really fascinating to see how we are both literally and emotionally barricading our communities with support structures to say, this is your home, you have a right to be here. And I think that is incredibly awesome and that is incredibly inspiring. I agree. So, Justin, I've got a question for you. What is the plan for the future of the American Rabbi Project?
0: It seems around the world plans are being tweaked right now, just regardless of what they are. Just no plan is safe, and that is also the case for my project as well. I was planning to take this podcast on the speaking circuit, so to say. I was about to host an event and even get to moderate a panel of rabbis, and then it was canceled due to the coronavirus, and rightfully so. I hope to continue in that field once things clear up. I also want to focus on cities. The one issue with the goal of interviewing a rabbi in every state is if you stick to one per state, it'll skew the data and you'll miss out on a lot of opportunities. I love the interviews with rabbis in the more obscure parts of the country. But the majority of Jewish population stories and diversity comes from the cities. It's important to get that aspect in as well. So I want to do several mini series where I profile multiple rabbis in cities like Los Angeles, New York City, Chicago, and so on. I'm currently based in L.A., so I'll start there. And I also want to collect more episodes in the central Midwest part of the country. And I'm also thinking of doing a Southwest road trip where I focus on the Jewish history of the region, specifically around conversos. They're also known as Crypto-Jews, and they're descendants of Jews who had to hide their religion due to the Spanish Inquisition. And a lot of them ended up coming to the quote-unquote New World when Spain started to colonize parts of the what's now considered the American Southwest. All of this, however, depends on How long this pandemic lasts, obviously. Like everybody else, I'm trying to think of plans B through Z and beyond. Currently, I have the means to produce at least a couple more episodes in isolation. Just like everybody else, I'm trying to think of what I can produce, what I can do to help people learn and and entertain themselves during this time. But past that, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. It's cliche, but that's truly what I'm doing right now. So... Beth I can't wait to see you again and I know we're on different sides of a closed border right now but I can't wait for the day when it opens up because I really miss you and I can't wait to see you again thank you for joining us today
4: I miss you a lot too I will facetime you as soon as this is done this as as in the recording
0: of course yeah we'll talk (laughs) talk very soon I love you okay Bye. And now, my two biggest supporters, my parents. Not only did they support my decision to leave a good-paying job to travel and start a podcast, they also helped by checking scripts and letting me commandeer their closet, which we are currently in right now. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad.
5: Hello, Justin. Hi.
0: So thank you for joining me in your closet. It's always been very, very fun being in here to voice my scripts.
6: Our closet's been very good to us as well.
0: (laughs) I guess uh, just to start, as I've been asking everybody on my editorial team, if the two of you might want to quickly just introduce
5: yourselves, just say hello to my listeners. I'm Bill Regan, Justin's dad.
6: I'm Jody Regan, mother extraordinaire to Justin. We're also on his editorial staff. We share the house.
5: We've all been working remotely the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. And we have not killed each other.
0: You know, I, I keep saying that you are to my two biggest supporters, and one reason is that when I decided, as I said, to do this whole thing, you guys were very, very loving and supportive of that. So I, I'm, but I'm curious, like, what went through your mind when I first said that I was gonna, that I was gonna leave my job to travel and possibly
5: start a podcast?
6: Well, the first thing I did was look at your bank account to see if you could afford it,
5: which you could. Um, we always trusted your judgment. We we're a little bit concerned that you gave up a good paying job. Um, That's true. we, We
6: thought you were set. We thought you had a career, that you were set.
5: And we didn't quite know where you were going with this podcast. But as we talked to you on your road trip, we found out you were interviewing a lot of rabbis throughout the country. And it started to become clear to us that you really wanted to do this, that this was a passion of yours. And we had confidence in you that if anyone could make this work, you could.
6: Well, and also, you had a plan. You definitely had laid out a plan that you were sticking to. It was coming to life. And once we started hearing the episodes, we now can't imagine you not doing it, and we we want you to continue with. It's such an excellent project.
0: Thank you. You also
5: assist with the scripts. Why do you choose to help with this podcast? Um, we want to see you succeed, and we both have experience in management, and when you're in the weeds, you can't see all the problems. So you do, everyone needs someone to review their work and give pointers.
6: You're not very strong with punctuation. And that's really been the only thing that I've um, been checking because the words have been terrific, have been clear. But of course, it's so much better when we actually hear it than when we read it on the script. But Commas, semicolons, periods are not really things that you're that well acquainted with.
0: That's why I decided to go into the world of radio, because...
5: Were you expecting your mother to be so honest on the radio?
0: I I was hoping, (laughs) I was hoping. I think think people will get a kick out of this. You said, we're all working remotely. Mom, Passover plans are changing. Dad, Easter plans are changing. How are we going to make this work?
6: Well, actually, I... I'm a planner, so when we first were put under house arrest, I I mean stay-at-home orders, uh, I knew we were going to be doing Passover remotely, and I knew right away we were going to be doing it with the computer. We haven't seen my parents and my brother since this whole thing started, so we will get them on FaceTime or however we can do it, and they're going to have their own meal prepared. We're going to have our own meal prepared. I'm going to pick up copies of the Haggadah, which they're going to leave... At their front door, I'm sure they have been sprayed before I pick them up. So we'll be working from the same script, Um, and we'll have uh, they'll have us on their computer, and we'll have and we'll still do it. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be kind of cool to to use the technology that everybody's using nowadays to see how we can adapt it for Passover.
5: For Easter, um, coming from a larger family, we will probably try to do something like that. I don't know if we'll be as successful because of the large number of siblings that I have, but there'll be some kind of uh, communicating through the cell phone or the laptop.
6: Beth will be with us on, on the computer as well. I don't want to forget Beth.
5: That's true. Yes.
0: My girlfriend who we met previously will be joining us remotely for the Seder. Mom and Dad, thank you for stopping by the closet again. It was just, I wanted to make sure that I talked to everybody and it was really important that I talked to you guys as well because a lot of who I am is because of you and how you raised me. And it really means a lot. So thank you guys so much. You're welcome.
6: We love you. And, um, we can't take credit for how you all, how all of you turned out. I mean, a lot of it, you're a good young man. You've, you've got good values and we can't take credit for all of it. We'll take credit for most of it, but not for all of it. You're a good kid. Good young man.
5: We'll see you at dinner, Justin.
6: I
0: also want to give a shout out to American Rabbi Project contributor Dylan Abrams. He's the twin brother of one of my best friends from college. We personally bond over both of us being journalists, and when you're in a stressful line of work like that, it's good to have a colleague to vent to. He's also a part of my team, a dedicated Hebrew school teacher and a newly minted husband. Unfortunately, Dylan is unable to introduce himself in person today. Because, as a journalist for a major news agency in Phoenix, he's on the front lines of this crisis and carrying out the essential service of bringing people the facts. Dylan, thank you for all you do. And thank you to all the journalists who are covering this issue, including my former teammates at the KNAU newsroom. It's a tough job, but they're tough people. As I said earlier, I felt with quarantine orders in place, this was a great time to do an episode like this. And it's been tough. My girlfriend is on the other side of a continent and a border. It's unclear when we'll see each other again. The same can be said for family members who are five minutes away from me. I've reached out to the rabbis I've interviewed and, no surprise, many of them are dealing with closed synagogues, canceled holiday events, and affected community members. This includes Rabbi Dovi Shapiro in Flagstaff, Arizona, the town I used to live in. He's also the rabbi for Chabad at NAU. A couple weeks ago, he officially closed his synagogue until further notice. In an email to congregants, he said something that really stuck out to me.
1: I never imagined a time that we would have to voluntarily shut our doors, even temporarily, Many of our grandparents were born under communism, and their families went on self-sacrifice to defy the Russian government's orders to close down every shul, gathering in defiance in homes or cellars to pray and study. You see, then shuls and Jewish institutions were being shut down due to hatred and anti-Semitism. But today, we are shutting down because of love for each other to save even one life.
0: It really describes the nature of the situation we're in. We're being ordered to stay indoors and break our routines just when spring is arriving and with the Passover holiday, but staying home is the right thing to do. Over the last few weeks, I've seen officials from every level of government try to prevent the spread of the disease and soften the blow of a society-wide shutdown. While that's critical, I also think in order to deal with this in the best possible way, it's going to take all of us, obviously by staying at home but also by helping others, whether that's donating blood or donating money to charities or volunteering, checking in with loved ones, or a friend you haven't talked to in a while. There's quite a bit of positivity that can be done while staying two meters apart from people. Again, good time to learn the metric system. This episode of American Rabbi Project was written and produced by me, Justin Regan, with the help from the wonderful team you met today. Sarit Dan Rathbone, Derek Pova, Jeremy Crohn's, Beth Vanderstube, Dylan Abrams, and my lovely parents. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to my project. You can do so by going to rabbiproject.com and clicking on the Donate tab. My email is justin at rabbiproject.com. My Twitter handle is at rabbiproject. You can also find me at facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And yes, I am officially on Instagram. Look for American Rabbi Project. And until next time, shalom,
6: stay safe, stay home.